Crazy Old White Man from the Hood, written by Lee Gaylord, Chapter 10, Back to Detroit. Sharon told me that Nancy was in trouble with the law. She was on the way to school when the police picked her up. I never bothered to call her. At 7 in the evening, she was in the juvenile detention facility. This was her first chance to call home. She was accused of beating up a boy who happened to be a police sergeant's nephew. The kid had a habit of causing trouble and calling his uncle. In this case, she was not the one who beat the kid up. She was with the two girls who did beat him up. The, the other girl said that she had nothing to do with the beating, and she pled not guilty. She got the same judge for this one. It was with the same girls. In this case, a girl spit on her, and she yanked the girl's ponytail. Her friends got into a fight. In this case, the hair pulling was a battery, and it started to fight. Nancy was 15, one beautiful young lady. She was also the kind of girl, like her mother, that you instantly like. Problem was her friends. First case was dismissed, dismissed, but she pled guilty to the second. While she, while we were waiting for the sentencing, we found out how bad things were. She would say she was spending a night at a friend's house. A friend would say she was staying at Nancy's. Mothers never checked. Nancy was drinking and smoking pot. She had been doing it for three years, and her mother never caught on. There was also a pedophile coming around. He was a white man in his 50s, with a good job at one of the auto companies. When he was caught, he had an album of 150 pictures of black girls between the ages of 12 and 15. Nancy was not in there. He approached her to recruit for him. He pled guilty and got a short jail term and probation. If the girls were white, he probably would have gotten a long jail term. If he goes back to that neighborhood, he'll probably be killed. To me, the minimum sentence for pedophiles should be life with no parole. Nancy was sentenced to six months in the girls' detention facility. She went to a good facility run by the Catholic Church. The judge said that she would be under her, her control until she was 18. The weekend before she, her, she was supposed to be released, she came home on a pass. Then she went back and she tested positive for alcohol. She was sent to a treatment center for six months. After that, she ended up back in a Catholic facility, staying there until she was 18. I lost contact with her mother. She called a little while ago and we talked about getting back together, but I haven't heard from her since. I know that she's working midnights as a security supervisor. Nancy is living with her mother. Well, 
here we are at another bar. This time, instead of the redneck bar, it's a black-owned bar with black clientele. I was at a steakhouse, and a young lady came in that looked a lot like my second wife. I was about three blocks away from where she lived, and I thought, uh-oh, I have to get out of here. It wasn't her. She sat down next to me, and we talked. Her name was Jeanette. You had me scared, I said. I thought you were my ex-wife. We talked for a while, then her boyfriend came in. He was white, and a cop named Bill. By this time, we were like brother and sister. She introduced me to her boyfriend and mentioned her bar and asked me to come by. I went to Jeanette's bar and she introduced me to her sister, Tanya, who helped run the bar. I sat with Bill at the end of the bar and we got to know each other. His partner and other and other black cops came in, and suddenly I found myself talking to a bunch of cops. The other cops realized that I was an Oriole, or o e which is a reverse Oriole. White on the outside, black on the inside. And we got it along well. A few days later, I told Bill, you're the first white cop that I've liked. His partner patted me on the back and said, You're our brother, and we agree with you. As a sidebar, at this time, I did not drink alcohol. I drank mostly cola. I was living in a motel and had an office. I was thinking about moving into my office, and Jeanette said, Why don't you move into the bar? You can clean up between closings and open openings and make runs of the party store when we are open. When we have parties or entertainment, you can be the bouncer on the door for five fifty an hour. You can collect a cover charge, check the women's purses and frisk them in. I said I'll try it. After two weeks I decided to move to my office. But Jeanette wanted me to come at 6 on Wednesday through Saturday. And I would get the ice, stock the bar with the beer from the back room, clean up, and open the bar at 7. She or her daughter Tanya would come in at 11 and take over. Now I was tending bar again. This time, the customers were more my type of people. When they first walked in and, and stopped and almost walked out, I called them, wait, you have the right place, just ignore the color of my skin. Barmaid comes at 11. Have a drink, and if you wish, come back when the women get here. Soon, I had some regular customers. Wednesdays and Thursday nights were slow. Jeanette told me to lock the door and only open it when the first customer comes in. I told her that was too much trouble and that the customers would think I was afraid. In the hood, you never show fear. 
especially if you're a gray-haired white man. Four young guys came in. The biggest one asked me for a shot of tequila. I said, if you have a valid ID, I'll sell it to you. If you do not, you can have pop and shoot pull. You have to sit at a table. The guy smiled and pulled out a lot of bills. Went past a couple of hundreds as far as 50 and said, Sell me a fifth and we will go. I'll give you 50 for it. I laughed and said, If I sell you a fifth, you and your posse may go out and get yourselves killed. Or you may be a cop just waiting to bust my ass. Why don't you and your buddies take your young asses out of here? He said, no problem, old man. Thanks anyway. Come back when you're old enough, and I'll take care of you guys. A big dude came in. My first thought was that he was a cop. Cops are usually good tippers. I asked, how you doing, officer? He looked at me and smiled. How did you know? I always know. I've been on both sides of the law, and I can usually spot a cop a mile away. He walked for a while. We talked for a while, uh, and a young lady came in. She was a prison guard. He was a narc and arrested dealers. She guarded the dealers after they were arrested. And uh, I bought from dealers for my lady. We were talking about the dealers that would get busted first and the ones that would get busted last. What's the difference, you ask? Good question. The dealers that sell to kids get busted first. And the dealers that are obvious and and where the neighbors complain, the last ones are uh, that help are the ones that help the people in the hood and do not sell to kids. For example, an old lady had her purse snatched. A dealer saw it and went after the guy. When the cop got there, the dealer was coming back with the purse. Cop asked where the thief was, and the dealer said he tripped and fell when I was chasing him. He's a couple blocks down the street. I think he hurt himself pretty bad when he fell. After the thief got out of the hospital, he went to jail. Witnesses said he tripped and fell, and the dealer got the purse and returned it. The dealer had, had made sure that his customers did not cause problems in the hood. If they did, they were told not to come back. If they did come back, they learned why they should not come back. Next customer was a guard at the county jail. He said, you look familiar. Did you ever work at the county jail? The narc laughed and said he was on the other side of the bars. I enjoyed Tenny Bar in this place. The customers were more enjoyable than the other place. The tips were good from the cops and the women. 
I never had a problem when I refused to serve it as someone because they looked too young or had no ID. At the Redneck Bar, half the time I was keeping peace and I got hit in the jaw twice. Here, there were no threats, no problems. I was accepted by the customers as one of them. I was back to living in my office in a neighborhood that was pretty nice. At night, I would ch change. It would change. You would see the homeless and the hookers. They were there during the day, but more noticeable at night. There was a young man who looked like he was around 20. He was about 6'6". He was quiet and really didn't bother anybody. But at night, he would be hanging outside by a bar. When people came out, they would see him in his size and a blank look on his face, and it would scare him. I don't think he was dangerous. He would just stand there for hours in one spot like a statue. Police decided to get him out of the uh, neighborhood, so they asked, they picked him up and dropped him off out in, the, out in the suburbs. By the time they got back to where they picked him up, he was standing there. He would go into the party stores and gas station markets and get cookies and cakes and eat them, them right there. He would put the wrappers in the garbage and walk out. No one would say anything to him. One day he was found in a dumpster. The word on the street was that a store owner or owners did it. One of the hookers used to stop and talk to me every once in a while. One night, there was a knock on the door. A man said that she was in his car and needed help. I went to the car, and she had a metal sticking out of her leg and was in a wheelchair. She was a victim of a hit-and-run down the street. Few hookers were lost that way. I brought her in and called a cab for her. I gave her some money to cover the cab, and and a night in a motel. I didn't see her for a while. The cab driver brought her, her by and he took her in. I haven't seen her since. When Bernice got back from the, to the city, she rented a house down the street from where I was before and Mary moved in. Mary would uh, beat her and one time tried to put a lie down her throat. A nephew found out, and when Mary came out, he beat her up and almost killed her. The neighbors were all out watching. She was told that if she beat down Bernice again, she was going to get beat up worse, and all the neighbors would swear that she fell. So she left. About two years later, I was back in the city. When I was back in the city, Bernice had a stroke one month after her 40th birthday. 
I told her that it was the best thing for her because it made her quit using drugs and alcohol. I slept on her lazy boy chair and helped her out for a while. Months later, she had another stroke and quit smoking cigarettes. Now I'm happy to say that she's doing well. She's getting around with a cane. She had, has to learn, relearn how to drive using her left foot. She called me and said that she was getting married, but she wanted me. I told her that I will always be her friend, and whenever she needs me, I'll be available for her. But marriage is out. I can never trust her. Every time she was late, I would think that she was back on drugs. I would always, in the back of my mind, blame her for the loss of our baby. The cancer came back, and I'm waiting for good health insurance to kick it so uh, I can have it cut out. I feel the plastic surgeon was too careful to make the ear look right, and he missed some on the top. Now the top of my ear is eaten away. I want it cut off so that all the cancer is gone. I will just cover it with my hair.